Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. Illumine our hearts and our minds, O God, to receive your word for us this day. We give thanks for the witness of those like Apostle Paul, who spoke to the congregations in whom he served concerning the power of your cross. May that same power by which Paul proclaimed, may that power sustain us in this hour. May we not be foolish. May we trust in you and what you have done for all of us. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to continue reading through the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Picking up in chapter 1. Last week we looked at verses 10 through 17. This week we're going to pick up in verse 18 through the end. Hear these words. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamations to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified. 
a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are. So that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me and for me? Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make these words of mine a witness to the word who is Christ. Or as John tells us, make these words of mine a witness to the word that was from the very foundation, the Logos, the divine wisdom, the divine logic, the one who took on human flesh. May these words give witness to you. May we give the cross its rightful place in our lives. Not as a symbolic means to be placed on a shelf because it looks nice and others might think that we are Christians because we have one. But might it be for us the very power of who you are in our midst. Place the cross before me, let none see me, but you and your grace alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'll never forget, I was 13 years old. I was 13 years old when my parents at this time, and the church that I grew up in, they were functioning as the designated youth group leaders, right? Which automatically meant that I hated youth, right? <laughs> It reminds me, my father and my mother both are, um, were black belts and, and karate instructors. My dad still does. He does it twice a week still. I remember 
growing up, I, I was doing karate, I was doing all of that with them on Monday nights and on Thursday nights, and I hit this point in my, my life in which I realized, you know, if I quit this, they'll go to karate, and I'll be at home and don't have to listen to them, right? So I quit. That was kind of my impression of youth group. Everybody else, like they were away from their parents at youth group, and I was like, why do my parents have to be the youth group leader, you know? But I'll never forget, I was 13 years old. My parents took the youth group to this conference that they were having at VCU, a conference called YEC, the Youth Evangelism Conference. During this conference, they have all kinds of bands that, that, came up, that come in and play. They have like Christian comedians, all this stuff trying to like really psych up you know, teenage kids right, to make them enjoy being in this space for an extended period of time. And at the end of the conference, what we knew was that if we were good, we would get to go to King's Dominion. Right? So it was like this like little teasing thing at the very end. I was 13 years old when I first went. And I remember when I was there, it was, it was fun. It was an opportunity to hear some bands and, and things along those lines. But there was at one point, one night, where, where a gentleman, his name was Ken Freeman. Looking back now and, and, and reading some of his books, um, I'm not a fan of much of it. <laughs> but that night, God used him for me. I remember him speaking and sharing the stories of, of his dysfunctional life growing up. And, and I remember him sharing the stories of his dysfunctional family. And I thought, wow, we're related, you know? <laughs> and, and I remember as he was sharing these stories and sharing about what God had done in his life for him. At 13 years old, for the first time in my life, I felt as though God was speaking to me. For the first time in my life, the only thing that I had ever knew about my faith growing up was, was that God was this, this kind of moral teacher. And that's all that God was. Just a, a, a person who was really concerned about our morality and this God would love us if we were good and this God would hate us so much he'd send us to hell if we were bad. So all I knew when I went into church was that in this place, I really need to be good. Right? Because that was my whole faith. My whole faith was built on a concept of this notion between good and bad. Good behavior, bad behavior. God was nothing more than just another parent in that way. He had nothing else to offer me other than to be good. But for the first time at 13 years old, through a guy named Ken Freeman, for the first time in my life, God spoke to me. And when God spoke, this is what I came to the conclusion of. That through Christ, my sin had been covered in His blood. That through Christ, my life was not destined for disaster. 
What I found out in that moment was that some 2,000 years earlier, that God had acted on my behalf. What I came to realize was that because of what Jesus did, because of what Jesus did, and solely because of God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, you know, we'll hear those words when we talk about communion, through your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, in that moment, 2,000 years ago, in that moment, I was saved. In that moment, when Christ gave His last breath, and in those 72 hours that preceded it or so, in those moments, I was set free from the bondage of the present evil age. You see, Paul is speaking to this Corinthian church. A church that is divided by all sorts of things. Last week we talked about their divisions on who their favorite evangelist was. You know, we talked about those preachers that are out there on that back wall when we look at them. Well, this one was our favorite, remember that? And this one we're glad to see them go. And this one we wish they would have stayed longer. You know, the Corinthians were having that issue. The, the, the Corinthians were having issues on, on women's roles in church. The Corinthians were having issues on the, the Lord's Supper and whether or not it was okay that, um, that some people, particularly rich people, were getting there earlier and they were eating all the supper up and they were getting drunk off the wine and if you didn't have enough you know, money, by the time you got there, there might not be enough Lord's Supper left for you. They were having questions around sexuality, but not just what we would call immorality. They, they, they were having questions on whether or not it was okay for a gentleman to, to have relationships with his mother-in-law. This is in Corinthians. It's weird stuff. You know, Paul is addressing all of these things, and then after chapter 1, he's going to go into detail on all of these things, on how he goes about it. But the first thing that Paul wants us to do when he addresses our division is Paul wants to ground it within a framework. He wants us to have a centralized platform, a centralized foundation by which we can then work upon. You with me? Like we can't just talk about our divisions without having some framework as to who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And that's where Paul starts at. Paul starts off by saying, for those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Paul, before he dresses the divisions, he wants to have some conversation over what it means to know. What it means to be wise. What it means to think we have all the right answers. You see, Paul, when he's writing, Paul, Paul is not seeking to address the age-old question regarding how human beings come to know God. Likewise, Paul is, is not trying to provide some kind of theological treasure map to guide our human quests to find the divine. 
Instead, Paul is presenting the divine enterprise which thwarts all of our efforts, our human efforts, to know or to find God. For Paul, he begins his argument to say, if you think that finding God is going to start with you, then you're foolish. Because this story, this gospel, this proclamation is divine initiative. You with me? This is about God finding you. You see, most of us, when we think about God, we have this bottom-up approach. Here's me and all of my sin and all of my muck and all of my mire. I'm I'm floating around, drowning in sea. And, And the way in which I'm going to get to God... The way in which I'm going to get to God is is I'm going to pick up my Bible and I'm going to read some more and then I'll get closer to God. Or or I'm going to pray more and then I'm going to get closer to God. Or I'm going to be in worship more and I'm going to get closer to God. And, and, And listen, all of those things are important. But they are not the primary means by which you get close to God. Because for Paul, the way in which we get close to God is to realize that for Paul, this is precisely not Bottom up, but top down. God has deliberately, for Paul, chosen to reveal God's self. God has chosen to unleash divine power upon us. It's not something we work towards. It's something that God gives. Now the irony of all of this, the irony of this top-down approach is that the cross is the last place any human being would look to encounter God. It might not be for us, okay? Let's just put that out there. We've had, we've had 2,000 years of history where our only notion of the cross are, is kind of like beautiful mosaics, right? Or, or things that we hold or, or, or things we put on our shelves. But the reality of it is, is that for early people, particularly for first century people, they would be baffled to find God on a cross, you see, most of us from our, from our lens now reading back into the Scriptures, we, we're baffled. We wonder, Paul was such a good preacher. Pa- Paul was such a good writer. Why, why did more people not convert to Christianity? But the reality of it is, if you were a first century Jew or Gentile, the real question is, why would you? Why would any first century person have ever been Converted to Christianity through faith, through a cross. You see, the the very core message of Paul's preaching is the word of the cross, the proclamation of Christ crucified. Paul says it himself, I desire nothing but to preach Christ and Christ crucified alone.
But friends, the cross is a lousy marketing tool, especially in the first century world. You see, the cross is gruesome. The cross was not something that you would automatically assume this is how God is going to overturn and overthrow the powers that be. The cross is capital punishment. We would think about today, we don't crucify people, but what we would think about today, our cross would be like the injection table. We don't think about that as divine redemption. Most of us have a skewed understanding that people deserve to be there because they did something bad, right? When we talk about capital punishment. But friends, capital punishment is what we mean when we talk about the cross. The cross is Rome's capital punishment system. It was reserved only for those who were the worst of the worst. Disreputable individuals, groups, rebellious slaves, insurrectionists, brigadans, all of these people who threatened the empire. And this cross, this cross was not an easy way to die. It, it was intended for people who died on the cross that they would die for hours upon end, even days upon end. So that when you walk down the streets, you would see, oh, that person's crucified. Why are they crucified? Oh, they, they, they threatened Caesar. I need to keep my act in line. Or that's going to be me. So can you imagine a first century uh, a person walking around and saying, the cross has saved us. And everybody's going, you're, you're an idiot, right? This makes absolutely no sense to any of us. That's why Paul says, for those who are perishing, it's foolishness. The cross is foolishness. But Paul goes a little bit further too. Paul doesn't just speculate on what God might be doing through the cross. Rather, Paul openly, boldly, and regularly proclaims the cross as the intentional and exclusive means by which God has chosen to encounter humanity. The cross for Paul is our salvation. The, Christ, the cross is the divine activity which both embarrasses and embraces humanity. Everyone, everyone is saved by the cross. You know, when I had that experience at YUC, when I came to this conclusion that God had acted on my behalf, and I received that by faith, right? That God has granted grace upon grace upon grace to me, and I didn't ask for it, I didn't desire it, I, I didn't initiate it, I didn't deserve it, I didn't do any of that, but 2,000 and some years ago, Christ acted on my behalf 
on the cross and I received it by faith and I knew that I was saved. But the problem is, when I got back, we flipped the script again. Cameron, this is what you need to do. Now, there's a, there's a follow-up to our salvation, and that follow-up is nothing more than this. It's, it's a word, and it's a very important word, and that word is called gratitude. Everything that we do in light of our salvation is in gratitude to the grace that God has given us. Gratitude is not a demand. Gratitude is something that is burst forth in a person's heart because a love has shed abroad inside of them. I have received so much love, I can't do anything but to give it back. That's our response to the cross. And how do we get there? How do we we achieve what God has done for us? For Paul, it's simple. We are saved by grace through faith. You know, I wrote a piece for the newsletter that summarizes a lot of my thoughts on this. How do you save a dead person? And the reality of it is, is that if we're dead, we don't do much saving of ourselves. God has to act on us. God has to bring us literally out of the grips of death and put us into life. And the only way in which we go through that is we realize it. And when we call that realization of what God has already done in our lives, we call that faith. I trust in the promises. I trust that God, what God has said and what God has done is true for me. That I was not worthy enough to receive it. I was not good enough to receive it. If God had given me a thousand times over to choose it, I wouldn't have. But God acted upon me. God acted upon you. God still is acting upon you. Those loved ones that you have in your life that you think are like way far out there and they're, they're gone and they're hopeless and, and, and there's, there's no hope for them, I got a message for you. Through the cross, Through the cross, God has acted upon them too. And the only difference between you and them is that you've received it by faith. That's it. That's it. The cross cross is both divinely beautiful while agonizingly ugly. It's the place in which all of our sin was hung and the place in which all of our sin was redeemed. To think anything other than that than the cross. To think that the cross is not sufficient is to be a fool. Paul says it. I feel comfortable saying it. The only people who thought that it was foolish enough to not believe in it were people who thought that the cross could not be sufficient. But to those who know, to that 13-year-old little boy me, to the 31-year-old boy me, 
that still knows that it's nothing that I did, it was all grace and it was all something given to me and I receive it by faith, what I know is that now the cross is not foolishness. But it's the very power of God who's saving. Receive it by faith. For through Christ it's already done. I offer this to your name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.